man, you come right out of a comic book. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. Uh, just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Hi everyone, welcome to the Screen Mayhem Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Whitaker. We have an exciting show coming up. We're going to be getting a spoiler-free rundown of Tenet from our own Paul Salt. And with that, we'll segue into talking about movies that we love despite their flaws. I started out thinking like masterpieces that have flaws, and then I was just like, no, you know, we all love movies that everybody's always like, but what about that part? What yeah. about that part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, well, screw that part. That part wasn't about the movie. Anyway. <laughs> so first off, yeah, uh, we're going to see, uh, let's say hello to everyone who's on today's panel. Uh, we'll start with the writer-artist, Jenna Rumberger. Hello. Hello, Hi. hello. Nice to talk to you again, like always. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have our own retro reviewer, who, beyond writing reviews for us, is a writer in her own right, Sarah Lieber. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Excellent. <laughs> And of course, as previously mentioned, the only person I know who's seen Tenet in the theater, Paul Salt. <laughs> hey, Paul. My, my only right? qualification for being here. Hello. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's not true. It's your current no. claim to fame. It's, it's why you get to go first. That's true. That's all. It's like you're the kid that has like the VIP pass in the Disneyland line. I'm the kid nice. who had a Nintendo. Yeah. Everyone exactly. come to my house. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, uh, you ready to get us started? Certainly. So, uh, first of all, this will be spoiler-free uh, completely. So, no worries if um, you, like most of the most of the world, haven't had a chance to see Tenet yet. Um, so, yes, after my first viewing of Tenet, I've now seen it twice. Ooh, um, good. Even I'm told that's the only I, way to go. It's the yeah. It really is. Okay. <laughs> I'll come to that in a moment, but it really is. Um, even I was frustrated by my opinion of it the first time I saw it. I'm a little less apologetic about my enthusiasm now, but it really is. It's a deeply flawed film. It has too much exposition, especially up front. It doesn't have enough human moments between its characters, and our hero is not sufficiently emotionally involved in what's going on. By the script, that is. not um, The performance by John David Washington is effortlessly charming, as you'd expect. Oh, God. Um, mm. Yeah, he's, he's great, and he's great in this. Um, also, Jesus Christ, find a new guy to mix your sound, because it can't be eight years after Bane, and people still can't hear the dialogue in your movie. Boom! Just get what? someone. <laughs> it cannot be that hard to find a guy in Hollywood who Tom can make... Hardy has a wonderful voice. You use his voice. <laughs> Absolutely, and okay. everyone in this has wonderful voices, and for some reason, let's have some important dialogue set whilst everyone's on a jet boat. But... <laughs> <laughs> Listen carefully. But um, these are all typical Nolan problems. Um, but they they are sort of at their height here. This is this is not the film to win over Nolan skeptics. Uh, that was arguably Dunkirk. Um, this is Inception on hard mode. So if you hate his films, you will probably hate this. Although I was surprised to see that Nolan skeptic UK film critic um, Peter Bradshaw gave the film five stars. So hey, maybe. Um, but I love Nolan films, and I do, perhaps in spite of myself, love Tenet. I'm sure it will prove to be a divisive film. The more people see it, the uh, lower the review aggregate scores seem to go. Um, but hmm. whereas with other divisive films that I like, such as The Last Jedi and the Suspiria remake, I can argue against the flaws that people identify. With Tenet, 
the flaws are totally legitimate to me. And I completely understand how they could prevent someone from enjoying its strengths. I'm just going to have to agree with most people I meet who dislike it and then patiently explain why it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, June. You can you can knock it out. Um, but I'll have a quick go at that now. I, of course, find the actual premise and the time inversion stuff really fun. And I like what the movie does with it. I love how it um, rewards repeat viewing. I love Elizabeth Debicki in the movie and Kenneth Branagh. They're both great. The music, which is by Ludwig Gonsson this time. Um, is incredible. The tone, the immense practical stunts, the ambition, the style, it all just makes it feel like what is happening on screen is the most important and epic thing that you could possibly be watching. Um, how was, how was Robert? The... You didn't bring up Robert. Robert? Pattinson. Oh, Pattinson, <laughs> of course. Excuse me. Oh, he was great. He's kind of the Nolan insert. Nolan always puts a foppy-haired, blonde, British man in his uh-huh. movies to be charming, and he's that. So, okay. yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Um, he plays that. Neil the handler and he's great um it's also camp in that way that nolan is and i don't think gets enough credit for his dialogue in particular in which we have lines like the future is attacking us and they're using a temporal pincer movement it's just wonderfully absurd um yes i've already seen it twice and honestly liked it even better on second viewing Mm. i understood it more and got more invested in the characters uh leaving the cinema both times I kind of just felt grateful that it existed and that Nolan was able to make it. Oh, Lord. Right. Perhaps Nolan could do with the bloody nose, critically speaking, just a little hurt to remind him, you know, not to disappear too far up his own concepts. Mm. But Mm. even if he doesn't, and we get the same movie in three years, I'm still just going to love seeing an ambitious filmmaker with cinematic sensibilities similar to mine, you know, being truly let off the leash time and time again. Mm. Mm. Um but yeah, I would quite like to see him make a $5 million indie movie if this movie falls on its ass, which I don't think it will. Um, but yes, that, that brought me around to the concept that we're all here to discuss, and that is films that we, are, that we accept are flawed, but love anyway, which is not the same as the movies where we disagree that they are flawed, or right. the films that you love because of how flawed they are, i.e. So Bad It's Good, see Neil Breen, um, <laughs> but movies where we accept those flaws as flaws, but still enjoy the movie anyway. Let me ask you a quick thing. Um, I noticed hmm. that in the cast, the person who played Wheeler, do you remember that character? Wheeler. It's a, it's a lady. And I was asking because I noticed the, uh, her name is Fiona Dourif and right away, and it was Brad Dourif's kid. I just figured it would be. <gasps> but Chucky's daughter is in Tenet. <laughs> I think I know who Wheeler is. I think she might be the badass army lady who okay, leads cool. um, this whole like, army into the second wave. Yeah. I just finished, I just um, redid Blue Velvet the other day and forgot that Brad Dourif was one of, uh, you know, the Frank's henchmen. So it was funny to see him again and think, he was a guy. He was doing his thing. Wow, I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. I know it's somewhat eerie when you watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and he's just kind of there. (laughs) Yeah, just goof, goof, like, laughily, like, being a goof, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think he's just the goof in that one. Well, cool. Um, did that yeah. inspire someone else? Like, uh, let's start with Sarah. You're new to our podcast. Uh, what was what was what would be one of your movies you love that you know it's flawed, but it doesn't matter. Oh God, this puts me in a position of having to admit that the movies that I love are flawed. Um, <laughs> horrible, isn't it? Which is so difficult, even when you can like watch something and know it's trash, but still like I don't know, have so much affection for trash. But in that. I love trash kind of a sense. One of my favorite movies is St. Elmo's Fire. 
Um, it is horrible. <laughs> I can't I can't defend it as a good movie. I can't defend it as a good coming of age movie. I can't defend it as a good movie about being a year out of college. As a person who's a year out of college, I don't recognize those people and I don't know I don't know who they are. Um they're all kind of like pretending to be adults and I guess I'm not even pretending at this point. But I think there's something so charming about I don't know first of all just like it is clearly like the work of somebody who's much older trying to relate Mm. to the kids Mm. um and the kids are this brat pack who are aging at that point (laughs) um and like I don't know Rob Lowe looks really great pretending to play the saxophone like I don't know what else I could say about it other than (laughs) It is, like, visually interesting in the sense that Rob Lowe looks really great pretending to play the saxophone. (laughs) Well, why do you love it? I love it because it's, like, it has a certain nostalgia for me. It's one of my mom's favorite movies from when she was around my age. Um, And I don't know. It's I, I really like the fact that it's these people that we've seen in your breakfast clubs, your... uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know anything Andrew McCarthy did before this movie, um, and you kind of it's sort. It, it, I really like it as a transitional piece for all of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I love an ensemble, and I'm willing to give an ensemble more credit, like in my love, and even if it's just <laughs> a bunch of cameos. But it's I think that's why things like Inglorious Bastards works well is. Somebody like Quentin knew he had to grab a bunch of people that are loved and put them in the movie. And it kind of works. And I don't know. I love an ensemble cast. Absolutely. Or ensemble. How about you, Jenna? Oh, ensemble. What what comes up for you? Uh, One last last thing on St. Elmo's Fire, sorry. It's just I didn't realize it was directed by Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher, yeah. Which is very interesting. But I like the fact that David Denby and his critical response to the film referred to Schumacher as brutally untalented. Mm. Oh, no. Oh, that's not fair. It's not fair at all, but it's, it's... You've got to remember that film criticism, you know, at the highest levels is very performative. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Itself. So um, that was, I learned that the hard a, way by at one point quote. idolizing old uh, Ebert. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, and I'll say one wow. more thing for that movie. Yeah, no, it's a really catchy song. It's a great song. Yeah. I was just rocking it. I hear it on the radio. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think it's interesting. There are two things that that both of you said. One, I think with Tenet, I'm curious mm. how many American critics or I don't know. Mm. I guess I could call them pundits have pundits have fanboy critics. In. Yeah, fanboy mm. critics. Because I'm interested to see how it'll shift once that wave comes when the yeah. gazillion Americans with a loud opinion show up. Um, how <laughs> ma- that might like, go back up. shift. Um, yeah. Well, and- if it was up to the fanboys that we've just canceled the movie. Like, oh, yeah. no, he's, he, I did that? Well, <laughs> no, we'll give him a chance. <laughs> um, and my, my first pick is very much in line with uh, Sarah's in terms of, you know, my family mm. inheritance was romantic comedies. My family mm. watched pretty much exclusively romantic comedies. So um, it's uh, tricky with that, like, 
do I like this because of that training from my childhood or do I genuinely like Hashtag this? Hashtag suspense. Not really. <laughs> no, I'm just meandering today. Um, it's You've Got Mail. Oh. You've yeah. Got Mail oh, is, oh, wow. I oh, mean, yeah. it's so clearly. Wait, you got to say it right. You've Got Mail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's both Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan at the apex of their romantic comedy mm-hmm. personas. Like, yes. she, hadn't, she hadn't gotten super... I don't even know where she went in the world. And he he hadn't gone... I mean, he was branching out as an actor, but he hadn't gotten lauded for his acting the way he's been since. And I felt like... But like... No, he was in I his bubble. Know. There's just yeah. something about that movie that's like candy. I can watch it over and over and over again, even <laughs> though I find many points of the story super screwed up. They make it all seem super casual and and chill and obvious and yeah. and, but he's and, manipulating and, her. and heartwarming right. when like his dad is like this creepy uh. ass guy and they're both cheating kind of on their partners to ha- build this relationship mm. with them and but it, it seems all very candy coated right. it's candy coated yeah. it's new technology and you got this new stuff and it's like no sweetie I'm just going to be on the computer a minute but it was that beginning of <laughs> right. those days like yeah. that's oh not okay and so much narcissism so yeah. much narcissism oh, yeah. but I love it I love and it I was thinking about the source material you know shop around the corner yeah. isn't that what it was based yes. on yes yeah. and yes. what a dark movie to that they move over to make such a light movie I feel like shop yeah. the, shop around the corner was it sort of hurt me when I watched it. I was like yeah it really? wasn't fun it wasn't romantic or comedy that was. <laughs> Dark relationship building in Shop Around the Corner is like, yes, they get together, but it's more like, um, it's more like that that old story, The Gift. Have you guys read that? It's the one where the they're it's a poor couple and the wife's one crowning Wait, glorious. Let me stop you. They hair. push a button in a box and it gives them the <laughs> gift of either a million dollars or it kills someone. I've no, read, no, a different box. one. Okay, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, she has this long flowing hair and that's her one pride and his one pride is a, his watch. Mm. And for Christmas, they're both broke. So he decides to buy her combs for her hair and she decides to buy him a watch fob. But in order to, yeah. to purchase their gifts oh, for each God. other, they get rid of the one thing that they got the gift for and... I yeah. feel like that happened in like uh, um, the color. No, I was going to say the color purple. No, in, in some, <laughs> no. I'll be over they here. Do, they do it on Futurama. They like yeah, I was about to say they make oh, fun okay. of it in Futurama. Uh, okay, <laughs> but yeah, that's what the shop around the corner felt like to me. But yeah, yeah, you got mail is a splashy, lovely film. Mm-hmm. It's one of those Beautiful. movie that that's like about the sweaters as much as it's about anything else. <laughs> yeah, in and Chicago Starbucks. Or, and it's Starbucks. New York, isn't it? Yes, is it New York? New York. Oh, yeah. it's definitely New York. All those like great scenes where they're down by the water and yeah. it's always sunny there. Which no, yeah. pretty much every Nora Ephron movie is a love letter to New York, totally in yes. some way. I which I love, I love ab- which I love about her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really funny that. That was your pick, your first pick, because my second pick was Joe versus the volcano. Oh, wow. <gasps> that was my pick, and I removed it after no after Paul said to get rid of things that are obviously terrifyingly bad. Oh, I just removed true. it from my I mean, I love that one, too. It was yeah. on my top three. I'm sorry. I don't mean no. to interrupt. I just got very excited. 
Absolutely. No, the thing about Joe versus the Volcano is, so one of my good friends and I made it a project over the past couple years to watch every single movie Tom Hanks made in the 80s, and that was the first of the 90s movies that we watched. So Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty recent (laughs) in my brain. And the thing about Joe versus the Volcano is it is so much fun and so good until Mm. the last 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> and then it's mm-hmm. like one of the worst things I've ever seen. And okay. it, I, I've, <laughs> I've never seen something go like nothing has ever dropped in quality so significantly for me. It was so disappointing. Wow. Interesting. See, and for yeah. me, I've I rewatched it. I, I, if you would have found me in 98, I would have said it was one of the funniest movies I'd ever seen. Mm. But now trying to watch... Um, uh, what's her face with the accent? And- I'm a flippity jibbit. Oh, totally. No, I just can't do it. I'm like, you're obviously the same person and you're not good at pretending you're somebody else and that just makes me mad. So there's your flaw and you love it anyway. That's the point. Yeah, it, it's, That's- I don't know. It's it's the script with, it's John Patrick Shanley who obviously, as mm-hmm. you mean, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright um, and he wrote Moonstruck, which is another movie I absolutely mm. love. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that Joe vs. the Volcano kind of has the same, like, quirky, like, stu- superstitiousness of Moonstruck. And then it mm. just falls apart when they get to the island. That's like... I was wondering, yeah. They yeah. had to throw the plot in. No, well, actually, we're here for you to, you know, die. And, oh, it's like, oh. Okay. Right. <laughs> and the, the these natives are, like, they, they have these native island heritage but they also have jewish heritage and they're all singing hava nagila and it's very confusing (laughs) it's interesting he only went on to do two other movies he directed one that's coming out soon so that's kind of wild he pretty much did joe versus the volcano he a writer director and was like fuck directing yeah that was it that's interesting i'd rather just write shit here you go yeah cool That raises a whole other category, though, of movies that you need to stop watching at a certain point or start watching at a certain point. For me, the 90s movie Sphere, I thought, was a really suspenseful, good psychological sort of drama. Mm. But you have to stop watching after the fire breaks out because after that it just becomes nonsense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think you're up next, Paul. Okay. Um, So I do have some previous on this. Um, In my other podcast, One Good Thing, every 10 episodes, me or Goodman defend a movie um, that Mm. that is generally considered to be bad, but that we have fondness for. And I have demonstrated my appreciation for things like Lars von Trier's deeply problematic Antichrist or Mm. the objectively bad film Street Fighter the movie. Oh. Mm. Wait, wait, uh, the good Street Fighter or the bad Street Fighter? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. The one with Jean-Claude Van The good oh. one. The one with Jean-Claude Van Yeah, that's the bad one. Right. Well, remember, that's the good one. Remember Terry Zaruki and our, our Cinema Bushido we did with the other part. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, yes, Sonny Chiba's uh, the, the Street Fighter. The it's Street crucial. Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. This is the one with Ra- where Raul Julia yelled. I know. Course, I was like, why was he a bad guy? It was Raul Julia. <laughs> I'm like, no. He's a sweetie. <laughs> And he always has to fight Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, thank you. That could be another backwards. podcast, is bad guys that should not be bad guys, because they're not <laughs> good bad guys. I would like it. There's a moment in that movie it's where true. he describes his plan to make his money worth something by kidnapping the Queen of England and forcing the Bank of England to accept his money. And that's just <laughs> wonderful. It's so rare wow. that you see a villain scheme and just think, oh, you're insane. <laughs> <laughs> you're really crazy. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, God. But anyway, I've um, decided to go with the movie Under the Silver Lake, a sort of recent, um, God, how do you describe it? Black comedy, uh, conspiracy thriller. It's odd. It's directed by David Robert Mitchell, coming off the back of the significantly better It Follows. Um, 
Oh, and un- mm. Yeah, and under the Silver Lake Seas, um, Andrew Garfield as Sam. And he's just a guy living in L.A., I think in Hollywood. And he becomes obsessed with this girl in this sort of classical noir way, you know, who's played by, I'll never pronounce her name correctly, uh, Riley Koch, perhaps? Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I always thought it was like Keo. Yeah. Oh, Ke- oh, maybe. Yeah, Keo. I don't think person. she'd like you calling her cock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think cough would probably go down very well. Though I love Graham. the Britishisms of it. Riley Cock, come over here. Oh, God. Oh, no, ask you a question. Granddaughter of Elvis Presley. Oh. Really? Oh. Mm-hmm. She should have taken that moniker. Yeah. And that's so appropriate for this film because it's a film about the mythology of L.A., and almost any sort of concept or uh, perception of LA is tied up in there. It's um, it's about pop culture. It's about um, you know, conspiracies. It's about weird religious sects. It's about the whole sort of LA story, all kind of tied up together. And it's about Andrew Garfield who notices that a girl disappears and tries to find out what happens to her. And in so doing, ends up in a whole bunch of really crazy parties and trying to uncode messages hidden in like the first issue of Nintendo Power. Cool. Um, his neighbor's bird is saying something and nobody can agree on what it is it's like loads of little puzzles and Mm. how it comes together is messy it's a messy film that lacks direction um but is nevertheless incredibly entertaining i'm so all over this movie i've never um seen it i did see it like pop up probably i think maybe you did a review of it i reviewed it when i saw it at the Cannes film festival the only time i've been so that also is a reason i guess it's kind of got a a place in my heart yeah no i I mean i feel like the name is so enticing right under the silver lake sounds Mm. beautiful oh god this just and the more I think about it, the more weird elements come up. Like, there's somebody going around killing dogs. There's a wow. dog killer. And there's, like, how is that tied up in all this? And how very the rich the people keep disappearing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, rich people keep disappearing. And there's a bird woman who k- is killing oh. people. It's just endless stuff. It's, like, just all the ideas that mm. David Robert Mitchell could come up with stuffed into a movie. And does it all come together to a satisfying conclusion? Not really. But it's a hell of a ride. You've talked me that. into it, out of it, and maybe back into it again. We'll just have to see. Yeah. <laughs> I see its Wikipedia page indicates it now has a cult following, which I'm very pleased about. Yeah. Nice. Speaking of cult followings, mm-hmm. yeah, my Ooh. second my second choice is Dazed and Confused. Oh. Mm. Uh, We've talked, Matthew and I have spoken multiple times about this movie. I... I wa- probably rewatch it a couple times a year. I first saw it when I was in college. I think what I love about it is that it's kind of like, you know, the last day of school in high school mm, and totally. you know that something's about to happen or just those There's nights excitement in the air. Yeah, just mm. those nights where you you like that you look back on and are like that was one of the best like nights of this facet of my life in terms of connecting with a group of people or a specific party or something. Mm. And it it gives me that feeling. But I also just love all of the little winding stories and how they overlap. And I honestly love Linklater and also the way he uses music. Oh my God, the way he uses music. Yeah. Because I felt that way about Boyhood too. Where mm. he just picks just the right song that most filmmakers wouldn't pick because they are too connected to to people's personal memories, and instead he makes it a part of the movie in a way that you buy it. 
like mm. like it's the characters become your friends and it's their favorite songs and that's why it doesn't distract you when the when the music's in the movie if that makes Can I any whatever sense flaw, whatever flaw the things that override any flaws matthew mcconaughey his all right all right all right that's the one where he's like do you have weenie weed and he'd be like it'd be much cooler if you did he's just he's amazing and of course uh um oh gosh um it's always this way when i'm um sitting here hosting but um mila um jovovich jovovich thank you yeah she was uh, awesome and that was like one that. of the first things for her yeah she was just young and she was putting on her american accent you know this ukrainian lady and <laughs> she was just pretending to be this cool hanging out yes i love that 90s lady Yep. She, she, she was just in this uh, child actor documentary I watched, and she was oh. so cool. She just, I don't know, she comes off as very real and very cool, and I'm a big fan, big fan. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. Well, that so leads to flaws. Oh, yeah. flaws of Days and Confused. Well, it's, it's meandering, and I think certain parts are very, I think the main issue for me is certain parts are just. They go on way longer than they need to. It it could have been it could have been cleaned up considerably. I think the other issue honestly for me is the same issue I have watching any movie from the 90s where I feel like we should have known better than to go ahead with certain decisions in terms of you know the way that women are treated like poor joey lauren right. adams character is the saddest sack in that movie because of what they made her you know they they she's basically this sad hanger on of this guy that just keeps mm. popping up even though like i don't know there's just a lot of things about it that mm. i just feel like are indicative of larger social decisions about ways it's okay to treat people that probably not and does right. it, I mean, I know it's based in the 70s, right? It's it is. To be, so, I mean, is he being realistic? Cause well, it was 70s, done in the 90s. They didn't really care. For, no, I mean, like, it's based in the 70s. So in yeah. the 70s, would you really have people acting outside of their nature, which was a much more misogynistic culture of the time? It was much more... Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much just misogyny, though. It was more her total lack of identity in okay. herself. Right. Like... I mean, I love Park- Parker Posey didn't have any of that. Parker Posey could have stomped anyone no, in that yeah, movie. She's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, I don't know. I'm trying, I think it's, it's a, I think that the flaws come from certain ways that it does kind of stereotype itself out of relevance. It's why it was a cult right. movie instead of a hit movie. I feel like it's based on... Paul, you might be able to help me here just because, you know... Or, or, sorry, anybody. But um, I don't think Jenna has watched this one. But do you know, it's like there's the same movie as Dazed and Confused, but it had um, it had um, Opie from Andy Griffith's show, you know? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. you don't know, no, Ron me. Howard? Yeah, Ron Howard was in like... Are you talking about oh, right. American Graffiti? Maybe... But at least you got me Ron Howard, so I'm going to say it now. <laughs> I'll find it, and I'll let you know if it ever comes up. But yeah, no, I know what you mean about the flaws. I watched it for the first... Oh, I watched it when it came out, and I just it forgot it instantly. I'm like, wow, a bunch of pretty people, and all I remember is some weed smoking in a park. And I just... So then I watched it again, and I was like, way more interested, because now I kind of know what Linklater's done after that. But I mm-hmm. think if I would have watched mm. it at the time, I would have been like... 
what a hack. <laughs> well, it's definitely <laughs> but it is a delightful movie. It's definitely not a I love this movie after the first watch. It's right. definitely that movie that you watch over and over again as background noise until it becomes like a part of your <laughs> genre, like your world and vocabulary. Yeah. It has it's to grow on you. It does. I think it does. Yeah. 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 God. All I know is when you first started describing it as like last day of school and the sort of mood that everybody's in, all I thought about was um, Booksmart. Yeah. Yeah. The trouble with Bookmark is it has no flaws. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise we could talk Booksmart about it. Booksmart doesn't have any flaws? I don't think so. Not oh, one. No. Interesting. No. <laughs> no? I mean, I'm not saying it's the best movie in the world. I'm just saying for what it is, it's kind of flawless. It surprised me in they were giving me actually something I didn't expect. I was expecting That's the same true. old shit. And instead, I'm delighted the whole time. I'm like, oh, this isn't going the way I thought it was. It wasn't super bad done again. It was something no. Yeah. No, you're right. I could find flaws, but I'd be nitpicking. Yeah. Well, actually, we just did um, literally this week's episode on One Good Thing is about perfect films Ooh. and ultimately how no film can truly be perfect. Right. And that did you notice I didn't respond? I, I couldn't give you a perfect film. I'm just like, no, oh, sure. you guys, I mean, you know, for me, that's probably Highlander and you guys would all just laugh. You'd be like, wait, <laughs> yeah. the, the electric swords and stuff. I'm like, okay, whatever. Fuck yeah. It's perfect. It's good stuff. But we mean like objectively perfect. No film could ever be objectively perfect. No. Even right. the movies that have 100 on Metacritic, which means that everybody gave it a five-star review you'd still you know find people who are naysayers or things right. about it that could be pointed out as being mm. flaws so but well, you know it's, it's part i haven't of heard the episode of yet. film criticism that yeah, nobody I'm, can I'm, agree on anything i'm looking forward to figuring out uh well to hear what you guys <laughs> read down well uh, totally sorry got close <laughs> we're back to sarah oh my gosh um yeah so i had another movie that i love that is flawed that is about time Y'all familiar with About Time? <gasps> Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, no. No, that's In Time. <laughs> that's I'm an asshole. <laughs> about Time is Richard Curtis. Excuse yes, me. Richard Curtis, um, <laughs> Donald Gleason, and um, Rachel McAdams. It's a, mm. it's a, sort of a time travel rom-com that is not yeah. really in the time travel genre as much as it's in, it's in the like weepy romantic drama category. Um, mm. And I just love it. And I have a lot of problems with Richard Curtis as a filmmaker. Um, <laughs> and I actually got into a Twitter fight with his wife once, which was an interesting oh moment of my life. Um, but I love About Time because it makes me cry in a way that even though I know it's manipulating me, um, even though like the – I don't know. I feel like Rachel McAdams – kind of gives these really beautiful, sweet, and, like, nuanced performances. And sometimes they get mm. hidden by, like, the cheesiness of the movie that she's in. Yeah. Right. So, like, I love her in this movie. I love Donald Gleason in this movie. And I think this movie wouldn't work oh, with yeah. pretty much any other actor. There's, like, some really big, like... I honestly don't see any flaws. The, see, my, my big flaw with this movie is that Donald Gleason uses his time travel powers right. for sexual assault. Right. <laughs> oh, right, because um, he had to win her, which to yeah. all boys thinking, if I had five chances to make a first impression, it it so sounds cool, but when it comes around to it, it's really just like, what did we just watch? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and you've talked about this. Um, well, um, our time travel Andy Samberg one. Yes. Oh, yeah, Palm um, Springs. Same idea. If you're, what you're doing at that point is you bec you're in the role of you're actually like, uh, there's a 
there's a gross term for it, but it's what predators do to set up their victims. I can't think of it, but that's right. in both cases, that's what's happening. And once you have time travel on your side, but then you live in a wholly new life and exactly. you really are above the law and above above I've ethics not... and morality because you can tra- travel time. I've not seen or you're about trapped time. Is this in a time? similar kind of flavor of grossness as kind of Groundhog Day? It is. So, and that's kind of exactly. gaslighting her. Yeah, like when, you, when they explain Groundhog Day and what the effects of time travel were really on... Um, well, what's his name in the movie? Uh, is Murray? a time loop really the same as time travel? So I don't in about, so. yeah. in about time, he can travel. Time. In about time, yes. it's traveling time. See, in, in Groundhog Day, I feel like he gets kind of an, he gets a buy because he's trapped in a loop. And, he, and, and I feel like Palm Springs, if you're stuck in a loop. You can't even kill yourself. But it, you, <laughs> right. you can't kill yourself it's and you can't, Springs. you know, you don't know how it will affect the future because yeah. you don't get to be part of the future, really. Right. But, but in about time, he does know he's, he's using his superpower to his advantage totally exactly but he's so endearing that it i is. don't mind <laughs> in a cute way yeah it's uh, well he, so it's like, not like he's the cutest like he's trying to like wrapper right. like trap her in a closet and then like you know and you know nobody ever does it if you have time travel like things. him you could just go back and just murder somebody you're pissed at and then just jump back in the closet and close your eyes for a few minutes and be like uh <laughs> yes it. yes exactly uh, so that comes around to funny yeah, games, I was right? about to use the word sodomize, then I was like, mm, maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, you, could, <laughs> you could murder and sodomize. But you could. You could do yeah. anything you want, and there would be no repercussions, yeah. which is a weird, weird idea. Then you stop thinking yeah. of, of well, humans as anything other than objects in your weird imagined world where you're traveling time and... You know what I mean? Yeah. And nobody and he, matters. Ultimately, and he, yeah. And he, sorry, and he does, like, sure. at some point get, there are consequences to his actions. With his sister. He, yeah. he goes back in time and saves his sister, and that means his child turns into a different child, and, like, it just right. completely messes up with his time, so he has to go back and let his sister get into an accident so that he has his son back. It, it's very, yeah. I've thought about that uh, so many times mm-hmm. in my life. If I could yeah. time travel, there's fixed points in your life where you've met somebody, yeah. Or you've had a child, you can't go back past them before. Right. Like, you can't go back before that yeah. again, or you'll fuck it up. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's the whole Dark. end game thing of Tony Stark, isn't it? He wants totally. to change the present, but without affecting his family. Right. But um, a lot of time, I think the appeal of time travel fiction really is the ultimate fantasy of being able to escape consequence. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, action and reaction could be subverted in some way. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where you can measure the reaction before you take the action is the ultimate kind of, you know, excitement behind time travel fiction. A lot of the you time. know what I love about Except that. For- I'd love to go back mm-hmm. to H.G. Wells and just be like, "You're fucking dumb. Like that's <laughs> not how it works. You don't go back to the dinosaurs, you dick. You can yeah, control your world." <laughs> He'd be like, "God damn it! Why didn't I think of for- that?" Except for Back to the Future, weirdly, which is the only one I can think of where it's all about trying to get back to the status quo without messing things up. Yeah. Right. And we're also yeah. delighted that he make, ruins things in the best way. He <laughs> makes his dad, like, have, throw some balls. And oh, that's true. He does he make things take, better. Yeah, he, he takes the rapist yeah. and makes him the subservient guy that tried to rape his mom in high school but is now washing his dad's car. I read yeah, something the other day that him. Biff's life actually also really gets improved in the new version of the present because, like, now Ooh. he owns his own business. Before he <laughs> before he was just relying on uh, uh, Marty's dad to do all the work for him, but now you know he, he he's really good at auto detailing. Hmm? There you go. <laughs> I love that. That was nice. And Marty, we trust. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, I'm, I'd have to admit I've lost track of who's up. So um, somebody help me. Is it just me left? I think so. I think we. E- I think you and I each have one more. Is that right? Oh, okay. No, because Sarah's only gone twice. I've gone. Th- I think I did all of mine. Okay, she good. Did three. Yep. So I. Okay, so that means uh, Paul, you're up with the final one. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, my last one. I feel like such a pretentious Englishman. <laughs> I haven't gone for any sort of. Ooh, I can't wait. I mean, most of the sort of charming genre movies, you know, that I love, we have covered on OGT. So. I encourage you all to go check that out. <laughs> we could talk about King Arthur from 2004, Clive Owen. Um, for now, I'm going to talk about um, pretentious British film High Rise. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, that yeah. movie broke my brain. Did you see it? Of course I did. <laughs> it was understandable. Anybody I else think, see but... High Rise? That was a weird Not one. I. It has that it is dude. Weird. Uh, you helped me with this one time. Um, I Tom thought, Hiddleston. I thought the main character was actually. Um, like Ewan McGregor or something, and you're like, no, it's actually like Tom Hiddleston. And it is Loki ah. himself, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Um, it's a Ben Wheatley film. Ben Wheatley is this wonderful British genre director, and this is probably the weakest of his films, but I still have a huge um, soft spot for it. He's going to make waves soon. He's got an adaptation of Rebecca coming out. Oh, um, I saw that. With Army Hammer as um Oh, Mrs. and now that Winter. I'm looking, he also has Tomb Raider 2, so I wouldn't sing his praises too high. Seriously, <laughs> this movie does look so British. Oh, it's such a good, it's such a good movie, but it's fucked up. Anyway, we're stealing your thunder, Paul. Go to town. Um, High Rise is written by his usual screenplay um, writer Amy Jump, who has done a marvelous job of adapting J.G. Ballard's uh, very weird satirical novel about sort of tower block life in Britain in the 1970s, and. Yeah, it's a very weird film. We have this fantasy, ridiculous high-rise with a very literal social class system with the poorer people on the lower floors and the rich people at the top. And Mm. Hiddleston is living in kind of the middle. He's a doctor. And um, it's got a whole wealth of British comedic talent in there. Um, But also Elizabeth Moss is in there and fantastic. Jeremy Irons, Mm. uh, Sienna Miller, Luke Evans. Luke Evans. Just really good people who we all know and... from fast five and fast six <laughs> as the bad as well guy you should luke evans has oh. done many great things he was gaston in the remake of beauty and the beast i'm i'm sticking with uh the fast four fast five and five. no i think he was only in fast five and fast six i don't know but anyway yeah. and it's uh, his unforgettable him. character in the hobbit trilogy so poor bastard he's got a, he's got a lot going for him oh. <laughs> Um, but nevertheless, this is a film that's it's impossible to describe the plot except to say that just everything goes wrong. Um, eventually, there's some sort of crisis. Everybody goes a bit mad. God. They start rioting against Wasn't each other. Wasn't there a part where chaos. somebody had sex with a horse? I don't know about that. There is a horse. I don't remember anyone having sex with Okay, it. maybe that was oh, in my yeah. own filthy imagination. But I just thought <laughs> that place was falling apart, that high rise. Yes, it, it becomes just absolute madness. And it's... I don't know, this just, it, again, it's somewhat aimless. It doesn't necessarily know where it's going. Like and there is social commentary. It's simultaneously on the nose and not clear enough. Hmm. Um, See, I think the why it was so weird just, for me is the way you introduced it. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but it is some, because I've never lived in, in Britain and I've never seen those oh, weird like high rises with the, the again, <laughs> that's like something that you guys know and you deal with. And I just saw it as like this imaginary yeah. like high rise somewhere. I didn't even think about it, but yeah, <laughs> it was lost on me completely. I just thought yeah. gated community in well, the United States where everything goes to shit. So I, maybe it wasn't lost on me. I just 
thought the high rise was a bit cooler than I was probably supposed to. Yeah. Think <laughs> well, it's, it's this thing. After World War Two, we put a green belt around London that meant that London couldn't expand any further because mm. it expanded ridiculously in the past fifty years, and so all of the council housing now had to be built up instead of out. So we built these massive towers, um, which oh, yeah right. became kind of infamous um, as places to live. But yeah, it's it's a really entertaining film. Tom Hiddleston's great in it, as you'd expect, and Wheatley's direction is so hypnotic. I think he cited Zardoz as one of the films that sort of helped influence him, and that's a mad piece of This film. is my Zardoz. <laughs> that was my best Sean Connery. Connery. Sean Connery's sadly absent, but you've got Jeremy Irons being the crazy old man instead. Yeah. And yeah, very flawed, very fun, I think, mm. is how I'd sum it up. I think Jeremy's at the top of his game right now. I used to think he was back in the 80s with, like, you know... Mm. God, I was going for the the one where he played the twin brothers. Dead Ringers. Yeah. yeah, Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. <laughs> I used to think that was the top film. of his game, but now I think old Jeremy Irons is hitting it home. Mm. <laughs> He's very good. Hmm. Well, cool. Since nobody else saw it, that's, uh, I guess we'll have to. And I would suggest it. I mean, I, mm, I yeah. thought it was surreal and weird and obviously didn't get it. So I'm glad that, see, it's <laughs> on the list of something you love. I don't think it's to be gotten. I think it's to be sort of felt, as mm. uh, Clements Posey explains in uh, Tenet. Mm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm feeling like there's a strong possibility that my choice has not been seen by anyone besides Matthew, because oh. I made him watch it, oh. um, which is L.A. Story. Oh. I didn't force him, oh. but it wasn't something that he he did oh, for no. fun. No, I was not putting <laughs> that back on the list. Some things just are left in time. I love that movie just insanely, even though I recognize its many, <laughs> many flaws. There's arbitrary Enya all over the place. Arbitrary Enya, what a concept. There's, there's, <laughs> you know, the, the, the actoring is good, but you're, it, it constantly is going, it's jumping from campy to irreverent to spectral to, I don't even know what, but I love it partly because I love Steve Martin and it does feel as a movie, the way that his, his books feel, if you've read his writing, Mm. But it's a really, um, it's a very curious film that I love because it paints a picture of L.A. during this specific time. It's a love story, but not a traditional love story. It it has Patrick Stewart in it. It does. Yeah. Ooh. He's the Mr. Perdue, the maitre d'idiot. Oh, is he? <laughs> All time that is the hilarious. And, um, uh, what do you call it? He, he, yeah, he had an odd time between the next generation and X-Men. <laughs> doing in some very strange things, like when he crops up as the bad guy in that Mel Gibson movie. Oh, right. Yeah, very yeah. weird, Mr. Mister Stewart. Yeah, I mean, and I'd say the same for Steve Martin. He had this period between he stopped doing stand-up and he started doing his banjo mm. and doing some of the things that he does now. Oh, yeah, he did the, the Serrano. Before he started writing. Right. Yeah, he did Roxanne. He Rex- did a couple oh. of others. It was but, that time for him. He was at the top of his game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that that movie is magic. And I if you it. haven't watched it, I strongly re- recommend it, even though it is, as we as we mentioned before, deeply, deeply flawed. Yeah. <laughs> it looks good. It looks fun. Yeah. Well, I don't have any um, on this one uh, that I chose to bring up. But once we were talking through it, I have to admit, right now my favorite thing in the world, it actually has been one of my favorite things in the world, 
is watching um, from Fast 4 on through the Fast and the Furious series. And right now, it's just like a COVID thing. It's always been something I've liked. I like mm. watching people drive fast cars, and I like all the, <laughs> the macho posturing and machine guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so watching it recently, I don't know. It's just put me on this joy thing. But I know how flawed it is. Like... I get like right after. So this is they're up to nine. Number nine's coming Whoa. up. Wow. This is nuts. This wow. is nine freaking movies, and they're all different. And you watch the the first and the second and the third, and they're all weird. And they're trying to build this thing, but something happens where it becomes a superhero movie without any of the costumes and Marvel stuff that I don't really love that much. So it becomes its own weird thing. Dom becomes this sort of like guy. There's a there's a scene in it where they all go to save Dom from going to prison. So they get around the transport van that's transferring mm-hmm. pr- transporting him to prison and they crash it. <laughs> and the 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 bus rolls like uh, sorry, it was a full bus. The bus rolls about 40 times and we're all like supposed to be cheering cuz the guy that's not like no seatbelt in the back seat of this thing is going to live somehow and we're yeah. happy and yeah and it's just the best yeah. freaking shit in the world i love it with all my heart and i see right through the flaws and fuck you to anyone who says they're not <laughs> great wonderful yeah. perfect movies. <laughs> I, that's actually the kind of same trajectory i had with those movies i really disliked and was put off by the first two or right. three totally I, um i just found them really yeah it's like you say the macho posturing felt sincere like it they were did. trying to sell this lifestyle as this i really was cool rewinding scenes and... i'm like watch the rock's eyes just Justin Justin Lin has this. Watch the way the rock yeah, eyes Justin change. Justin Lin and screenwriter Chris Morgan. They come along in the third one, which I don't remember very well. But yeah. from the fourth onwards, it definitely embraces its sense of camp. I mean, when you have them, like the the, the bit I always remember. I think it's in the sixth one. Is when. Um, <laughs> is it Michelle Rodriguez gets thrown from a car oh and. Vin Diesel then crashes his car, so yeah. he flies as well. And they, I think like, that's the fifth he one. Catches her. Yeah, she still has amnesia, and he jumps out of his car. He launches amnesia it off like well. the, a berm. It's a leaps soap out. opera. <laughs> She's like, "How did you know that the windshield of that car we hurt we hit was going to save us?" Like, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like Vin Diesel leans into it too because in the first couple he's playing like the kind of badass guy, but then he just become he goes full cyborg. Yeah, for the fifth one. Yeah, I just got chills doing that. That was awesome. I was like, ah, he saves Letty and stuff blows yeah. up. Okay, I'm done. That was my my throw out there. I get it and I love it, and that's what that's it, how I live now. I think there is a peak though. I think there's a peak with five and six. I haven't found the last couple too entertaining which is a shame because f gary gray directed the last one and he's great yeah and i like his stuff his just... movie um set it off about um which was kind of the 90s widows yeah about a bunch of women who decide to rob banks totally. it's just one of the best heist movies yeah. you know that nobody's ever seen that's what's funny is it became a superhero heist movie it used mm. to be good versus evil with some fast cars and of course the obligatory um show everybody all the ladies asses during the big street fight obviously that's one that's two number three is in tokyo number four they do it again (laughs) but then they're like well let's reboot and make everybody immortal (laughs) yeah what's what's funny is after the fourth one they almost have the obligatory street racing scene right there's a bit in the fifth one where it's like oh we need a motor part where are we gonna get that I guess we'll go to a street race. And, it, and then they have, like, the Kachira's shot of, like, You're right. They're like, well, where are we going to get all like, these we, cars we need we for the heist? We actually had to include this. Totally. I love that. Oh, anyway, that was all I had to say about that. Um, the only other one I'd throw out for all uh, of you, because it's on every list, because I looked when I was thinking about this episode, Interstellar. Yeah. Oh, I loved that. <laughs> love that I movie. Love we all love it. Love no it. one fan over here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, fuck you, haters. So what, he ends up in a 3D <laughs> box in the middle of the universe sending Morse code to his kid through dust? Oh, and a bookshelf. A bookshelf. <laughs> it's moving books. He can move books with his mind. Yeah. It's a it's a father daughter thing, and that's hard not to yeah. like hit you right in the in the oh, soul. Oh, totally. Oh, young Murph breaks my fucking heart. Do you know? Murph. Honestly, if he never would have seen his daughter again, I throw that movie away. But the fact that it happens, <laughs> he, he met sees Murph. Scene. Yeah, yeah. God, three amazing actresses played Murph throughout her life. Mackenzie Foy, mm-hmm. who gave that great performance as the kid in the last Twilight movie. Oh. Oh no! Um, oh, Jessica Chastain plays yeah. as an adult, and then Ellen Burstyn as an old lady. That's Love. pretty goddamn good life cycle. Jessica Chastain is magic, <laughs> yeah, and the the guy from that '70s show is there. Oh yeah, Tof- Topher Grace. Yeah, yep, good I old Topher. Thinking, oh, there's Topher Grace. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps doing that. He oh, keeps look, showing guy, up in movies. Beauty. <laughs> oh, he's dead. Okay, my one thing there is thanks for making Matt Damon a villain finally. Asshole. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so sick of the all American cool guy. Like, please stop that pretending. Was so great. Yeah. Oh. Please don't oh. dock it. Uh, asshole. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we made it to the end. Uh, unless anybody has anything else they want to throw in here, uh, we'll just do a quick run around. We've done enough of it, but Paul Salt, One Good Thing podcast, oh. uh, writing all the greatest stuff. What else do you have going on? Anything? Anything oh, special? Well, I mean, you can stay here on Screen Mayhem, where we're wrapping up the Scottish film, the podcast yeah. I was doing with Katie Maiden, where we tried to review as many adaptations of Macbeth as we could find. That is we the headiest shit I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> <laughs> there was some fun stuff in there. A lot of the actors we talked about today have at some point played Macbeth or Lady Macbeth. I know Patrick Stewart had his go. but um, What was yeah, the Kurosawa one? Kurosawa was Throne of Blood. That Throne of Blood, right. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But we've had Macbeth set in like American fast food diners, Macbeth set in Michelin star restaurants in Scotland. We've had a lot of weird stuff. So the Indian one that you said you couldn't find, I tried to go find it for you because I feel like I'm Aww. I've got skills. And by the way, uh, that that film's dead for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, that and Shakespeare Must Die, which is the um, the Thai one that apparently was very critical of mm. Thai authorities, and then it mysteriously disappeared forever. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah, but there's that. And then OGT Pod, if you type that into anything, you'll get one good thing podcast. I think that's just about it. All right. Well, Sarah, let's talk about what you're doing, other than, you know, obviously the obvious. But actually, just today, and this is going to be coming out pretty quickly, we just, uh, you just did nine to five. I nice. did. Mm. Yeah, it was very fun. It was an exciting, exciting moment. Um, yeah, I've got the, the retro movie column. Um, <laughs> super fun. Uh, I actually just started writing for Watch Mojo, so yeah. oh wow! I um I have a couple videos about The Simpsons coming out in the next couple months, which is <laughs> exciting. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, and I I also my my day gig is I'm an entertainment editor at BroadwayWorld.com. So check out you know like find out about the Dear Evan Hansen movie from me. So that'll be that's coming up too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And yeah, what do we got? Oh gosh, um, I guess the main thing is uh, that my book is with an editor, which oh. I've never done before. I sent the third draft of my first full-length novel to an editor, and she's going to do what she does with it, and I'll keep people posted on when the book's ready to be released. Cool. Oh my god! That's awesome. Amazing. 
Thanks. I love it. Well, there it is, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, Paul and I are going to be doing a Takashi Kitano podcast called Kitano Cast. Mm. So we'll be knocking out all of his directed <laughs> films. And Best. I'm super excited about that. And yeah, yeah. otherwise, till the next time.